On today's show, the NBA draft is now behind us, but there's plenty more to discuss with regards to the Hawks' hole on Thursday evening. Headlined by Kobe Bufkin, Brian Schroeder joins me on today's episode for part one of two-part conversation, plus the latest news, all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1506 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. And today's show, we'll be diving into the NBA draft with Brian Schroeder coming on the podcast. Good friend of the show, been on many, many times. A two-part conversation. This is part one that we're going to be having on today's podcast. But first, before I bring Brian in, there is plenty of news and notes to get to over the last few days. For one thing, I did two podcasts on Friday, one immediately after the draft, talking about what the Hawks did, what the Hawks didn't do, and all that fun stuff, still very relevant at this point in time. And then later on, on Friday, I had Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports on the podcast. Jake's a friend of mine, also one of the best reporters slash newsbreakers out there in the business. And that was a fun conversation on Friday afternoon and evening as well. So those are definitely relevant at this point in time. I encourage you to make this podcast your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, etc. But uh, with all that said, we'll dive into some news and notes right now before we get to Brian. So first, this got a lot of attention on Friday. Uh, Brian Windhorst of the Hoop Collect- of ESPN, I should say, on the Hoop Collective live draft show said, and this is a direct quote, the following, quote, the Hawks are under a mandate from what I've been told to get out of luxury tax. End quote. I shared that on Twitter when I heard it. And of course, I got the usual reaction. I think a lot of a lot of people right now, I think probably the majority of Hawks fans are kind of sick of hearing about the tax and uh, not really defending that kind of frustrated with ownership, all that fun stuff. There are always ownership defenders out there as well, which I never quite understand. But at least I'll just put that out there. There's people uh, there are definitely Hawks fans that still feel that, that it's OK to talk about the tax, all that fun stuff. The way that I framed it on Twitter, I've said this before, is uh, I, given the front office, um, you know, navigating all, all things life right now with regard to the Hawks. They are an expensive roster, et cetera. Some of those decisions were uh, made a couple of years ago, and it's kind of where they are at this point in time. But my point always is giving the front office a mandate, if there is one, to get under the tax does not align with also, crucially, also demanding win-now results. You can't really do both at the same time. I do believe that. Now, it's not impossible to do that. There are teams that are very, very good without paying the tax. I'm not saying that, but for the, in general, there is a correlation between spending and winning. And a lot of the best teams in the league, title contenders, etc. For instance, this year's Nuggets team went into the tax. Um, previous teams went into the tax to win the title. All that stuff. Uh, I will acknowledge this right now, though. It's not a blanket statement. Um, there are times when it does make logical sense to not pay the tax. When the Hawks were rebuilding, it made no sense to pay the tax. They could have. It would have made no sense to do that. Um, but when it's the annual kind of dance that they do, plus you get pressure from ownership to also win while also trading draft picks, all that fun stuff, it's not really a, a sustainable model. So if you're actually going to retool things and not push quite as hard to win in the short term, it's more understandable and more easy to accept. But that's not the, the messaging the Hawks are giving. They're definitely, at least Tony, Tony Russell on down, saying they want to win now. And it's kind of hard to do both at the same time. So again, it's it's very difficult, not impossible to win at a contending, like real contending level with your best player, especially making the max like Trey Young is, by the way, and that, that's deserved. He is worth the max contract that he's making, but it's hard to build a contender when you're, when your best player is making the max and you're also mandating to stay under the tax. Again, I'm not saying they are, but that's what, that was the report from Ryan Winhorst. Um, staying under the first apron 
or especially on the second apron of the new CBA, different story. I think a lot of teams, the vast majority of teams, are going to stand on the second apron. It's kind of been viewed as almost a hard cap for some teams. I understand that. The penalties there are pretty significant. And crucially, it's not just money. Uh, past the second apron, you're actually making your basketball team worse in some ways. That's a different conversation altogether. So as I noted there before the draft as well, I am not nearly as sure this time around that the Hawks are going to be paying the tax as I was. Sorry, they're not, not going to be paying the tax as I was last year. Last year, I came on the podcast and told anyone who would listen, come hell or high water, basically, the Hawks were not going to pay the tax. I was very, very confident in that. I heard about that repeatedly. And, of course, they made active moves repeatedly to get rid of the tax. Um, the Herder trade, the Moharkless trade, at the deadline, they navigated things pur- purposefully using more capital to stand on the tax to get Sadiq Bay, and uh, who's, by the way, is cheap, uh, and Bruno and Garrison Matthews, et cetera, while making sure not to go over that line. I also don't think that Brian Windhorst says with no reason what he said on that live show. It is different that he said it on a live show versus actually writing it in print. I will definitely be the first person to say that, but it is notable to me that a very, very good reporter who does not just say things um, said what he said on that broadcast. Now, with all that said, I got some very strong pushback, is the way I will put it, from a prominent source. Um, I would describe that person as a prominent source close to the Hawks, telling me the Woodhorse reporting is flat out wrong and there is no mandate or anything like that to duck the tax. I think it's important for me to share that because I was told it on the record. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just notable to me. Uh, I would say it's, a, again, a very prominent source who would be in a position to know things. Um, I will also add from my side, this is me talking now, that it's also something the Hawks basically have to say, whether that, whether it's true or not. No one on the Hawks is ever going to admit publicly or even to me that they're under a mandate to duck the tax, especially not in late June when they haven't even started the process of free agency, all that fun stuff. So, and also there are some semantics involved here with, with the word mandate. Tony Ressler did, himself did this dance last year uh, during a media tour um, when he kind of dismissed the notion that they were trying to duck the tax when it was very, very obvious that they were last year and everyone kind of knew it. So anyway, from the team side, they don't want the entire league to know they're trying to get duck the tax. That makes perfect sense. They want to have some kind of leverage. They're already difficult, dealing with difficult situations with uh, Collins and Hunter and Capella on pretty big deals. There, any less leverage is not a good thing for the Hawks, so it does no good for the team to be boxed into a corner. I would be the first person to admit that. So there you go. I would personally still project the Hawks to get under the tax. I'm not saying it's 100% to happen. I think the Windhorse reporting is um, sort of intuitive that maybe it's more likely not more, more likely than not to uh, have the Hawks duck the tax. But uh, when he's saying that pretty plainly, does make some sense. But I, again, I got some very strong pushback locally. So that's what I know for now. I want to give you all of what I know at this point in time. And there you go. Also, by the way, Windhorse said in that same talk that uh, he was expecting the Hawks to be very active, quote, in the coming days through July 2nd or 3rd. Uh, zero surprise there. That is the entirely white expectation right now. Everyone believes and is saying, and I'm hearing repeatedly, that the Hawks are very, very active in trade talks. Jake said the same thing on Friday on this podcast, and that is very much out there. Um, before we get to Brian, some quick roster notes here. I got word shortly after I recorded the podcast on Thursday that the Hawks sent a 2027 second round pick to Boston to get Muhammad Gay at 39 overall. That's a pretty solid piece of business, actually, from the Hawks. I, I like that move. Even if you didn't love the draft pick of Muhammad Gay, and I could take it or leave it, it's, it's probably fine at this point in time. But even in a worst-case scenario, you're trading a second-round pick that is, if, even if things completely fell apart, that pick would be 30, uh, sorry, 31, 32, 33, and that's four years from now. Getting the 39th pick overall this year in a good draft, that's a good trade from the Hawks' perspective on, a, on an asset level. Again, he would not have been the guy that I probably picked in that spot, but he, uh, I, I've been hearing repeatedly that the Hawks really zeroed in on him, on him during the process as an upside bet. We'll talk about more, him more with Brian in a second, but that's uh, kind of what I know right now. Uh, also, Jonathan Gavoni reported that the Hawks are signing UC Santa Barbara forward Miles Norris to a two-way, to a two-way deal. 
keep in mind this year there are now three two-way deals instead of two. That is notable. Uh, also, the Hawks have Donovan Williams coming back on a two-way deal. So this this is uh, reportedly the second of the third uh, – sorry, second of three two-way deals. Trent Forrest's deal expires, so they have one spot still open. Norris, uh, someone we talked about with Brian as well, but just for some background, a former top 100 recruit coming out of high school, actually went to Oregon out of high school. He's a big shooter. That's the appeal there. 6'10", shot 38% from three in the last three years, 81% of the free throw line in that sample. So that's kind of that's kind of the short version of the appeal there. Played on a good team this year at UCSB. The Hawks are obviously getting him a two-way right away. That's probably a good indication that, that they like him quite a bit. And the Hawks are prioritizing shooting very, very obviously. Also of note, before we get to Brian, uh, the Hawks now have 11 guys under contract, if you include Kobe Bufkin, on guaranteed deals, I should say. Then they have four guys on non-guaranteed deals. Then they have two of the three two-way slots full, and that does not account for either Muhammad Gay or Seth Lundy. So if you presume, as I do, that both Muhammad Gay and Seth Lundy are on contracts of some kind when the season starts, that means the Hawks have to change something on their roster by opening night. Now, it's important to note that's by opening night. That's a long way away. But the Hawks, you can't, you cannot have more than 18 players. 15 guys on regular contracts plus three on two ways. The Hawks right now have 19 if you include second round picks. So not an issue right now. Keep that in mind for the future. And uh, there's some stuff to sort of mess around with now with regard to the second round picks and exceptions and salary cap stuff. But there's some, some uh, conflicting incentives there. But I think long story short, something will be changing. Um, they also signed some some, ten, uh, some exhibit, exhibit 10 contracts. Uh, both David Singleton of UCLA and NC State's Jarkel Joyner have been reported. Those come up on the conversation that I had with Brian as well. Uh, exhibit 10 deals, by the way, as a reminder, are very common. They're up to 50000 guaranteed money, and the franchise can convert these players to two ways if they want to. It's usually a summer league invite and or a training camp invite for a little bit of money. So Singleton is a shooter. Uh, that's his primary appeal. Joiner, more of a, uh, you know, he's a smaller guard, played at NC State, went to Portsmouth and played. So long story short, we'll get into more of that with Brian and then later on going into summer league. But a uh, lot's happened in the last few days. No- nothing huge. And in fact, there's not really any new rumors on the Hawks front. Mark Stein did some reporting, but there's nothing crazy there. We'll, t- we'll touch on that later on this week if anything changed on the trade front. But for now, they're, they're adding out to their summer league roster. They're adding out to the two-way with Miles Norris. They've uh, officially announced the Muhammad Gay uh, acquisition and draft pick. So a lot going on in Hawks land. And without further delay, we'll get to the first ad break here from our sponsors. And then we'll come back with Brian Schroeder talking about the Hawks, the draft hold they got, Kobe Bufkin, Muhammad Gay, Seth Lundy, and more. Today's show is sponsored by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure that every single player on your roster is a perfect fit for you. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part has to fit just right. Next time you are ordering parts or accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure that every single part that you actually need fits right and does so the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage, look for the green check to know the part will be fitting or your money will be coming back to you. Just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when it comes to shopping at eBay Motors with over 122 million parts to choose from. That's a lot of parts. You can be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when you're actually the right parts are guaranteed for your vehicle. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. One more time, that is ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. I'm joined again by Brian Schroeder, uh, a man who I'm sure has not slept very much because the NBA draft just happened. Brian, welcome back to the podcast. I actually slept nine hours last night, but yes. Other- well, we're two, day- we're two days away now, so you and I are recording this. It's Saturday as we record this podcast. and uh, I did not sleep head- Thursday night. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I had I had Jake Fisher on on Friday, um, which people were surprised that I could get Jake, and I was Jake was like, you know, this is like not not it wasn't a day off for Jake, but like it's kind of the the storm the eye of the storm between the draft and free agency, and he was also half asleep, and he admitted that to me when we talked, so that was funny. But um, yeah, 
you know, I always talk to you about the draft on, on this feed. We, we did that earlier in the cycle, and uh, I figured you'd be a great person to kind of recap things. Um, the Hawks made three picks, which I would have bet the under on that. So they acquired a third pick and made it. Um, I like that in general, uh, just to add, you know, cheaper young talent to the to the mix. But before we dive into the players, like, what'd you make? I, I know what your I know what your grade was because I'm a Patreon subscriber of yours. But uh, what did you make of the uh, of the Hawks' haul on Thursday? Uh, I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because you know <laughs> graphics can always matter, but it's not. You know, it's just not. They have other they have other issues to worry about. I think they did fine. I think they did perfectly well with what they had. They should be able. All those guys should be able to play. So you know, yeah. If you get Generally two, if you get two guys who can play, if you're not, if you're picking outside the top ten, you get I don't know two players who can play 15 minutes a game. That's pretty good. You did pretty well. Yeah, I you know it's always important to recognize what rational expectation is for draft mm-hmm. picks, and you know you and I have talked about this before, but the Hawks getting Jalen Johnson, AJ Griffin back to back years falling to them. Um, I think has maybe changed um, local expectations for what you get at 15 overall, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. the star equity of those guys, not that they're going to get there, but they both have like legitimate star equity. Um, and you can't expect to really always have that at 15. Um, at the same time, you know, this is a team that could just use some quality depth and some guys who are young and cheap and talented. And um, I mean, Kobe Buff, I guess we'll start with the operative word there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a reason I'm saying that. And obviously there's been a lot of talk about the, Tax and all that stuff, we'll save that for later. But, um, you know, Kobe Bufkin is the guy they went with at 15. Uh, I heard a lot of names around that. I don't, I'm sure you did too. Um, the, the draft kind of broke a little bit interestingly, you know, the Cam Whitmore fall, all that stuff. But um, when Bufkin was sitting there, I had a good feeling that, that they might take him. I knew they liked him along the way. Um, I thought they might take a swing on Whitmore. I'm not sure what the medical is still on that. But long story short, they add Bufkin, and I think that uh, internally – they were guessing he probably wouldn't be there. And that's kind of what I heard too, all things equal. I thought he might go 12, 13, something like that. Um, I like the pick. I'm not like, I didn't do a cartwheel or anything. Obviously I'm a Michigan guy. I always say that on the podcast, but uh, independent of that, I like the pick. Uh, I, I, I wonder what you think of him. And then we'll, we'll sort of dive in, in, into what the Hawks are getting with Kobe. Well, I can say without uh, trying to source myself up, he was never going to go 12. I could say that. That was much of uh, smoke. Like I don't yeah. think the Thunder even really worked him out. They were not the, interested. The Thunder in are always a smoke team. They are uh, difficult yeah. to read. Um, yeah, certain- but from what I know, they never even really worked them out. So I really don't think they had two guys they wanted, and they got one of those guys. Is what I'll say. Um, but uh, yeah, Kobe. I mean, I think it's kind of a fun spot for him because I feel like he can play with either guard, which is an interesting. Yeah, it's not really a guy they had. That was kind of Skyler Mays for a while, and never really latched on. He's kind of a four A player, unfortunately. You know, he's. Not bad, but he's not really a guy who demands minutes. Yeah, and then they don't really have like Aaron Holiday's not a guy. I, I don't think he can play Aaron Holiday and, and Trey. Aaron Holiday is a is a backup strictly. Like he's a bench guy. Yeah, and then like Trent, Trent Forrest is kind of a four A guy too. Like I think that's not crazy dissimilar from Kobe like style wise. But Kobe's just I think he has better strengths. Like his finishing, he was the number one among all players. I I, I think I played like eighty five or ninety guys college players. So you know. Not like the, you know, there's like 10 high-level prospects out of that. But of all the guys in my database, I think Kobe was number one in, like, percentage at the rim among all players who, I think it was below 35% of their makes at the rim were assisted. So people who 60-40 were getting to the rim on their own, he was the number one finisher. 
I think Casey Wallace was second. But Casey Wallace's percentage of those shots at the rim was was like 15. It wasn't that much. Like yeah. he, his diet was not rim heavy, whereas Kobe's is super rim heavy. So like Kobe is the most. I would say that makes him the most consistent finisher of all the college guards. And he's, you can attest that. He's just good at it. He just knows yeah. how to do it. He's crafty. He get, Very crafty. Get the little seams and just finish with either hand. He can he can wrap around people. It's a real skill. And then the other skills are all like his defense is solid. He's, he can he moves the ball well enough. I don't think I I don't really agree with the idea that he's a lead guard, which is why I think I was slightly lower on him. I think if people thought he was a point guard, then he probably should have got like nine. Honestly, you think he's a guy who can handle the ball full time, mm-hmm. then he can start. But if you don't think that, you need other ball handlers, and like that's the thing the Hawks have. So that's not really an issue. I think he, he's large enough to guard twos. Like they played Portland, he'll be fine. You can stick him on Simons, or or you can stick him on Dame for small stretches, and he won't kill you. Like his defense is solid, passing is solid. He he should shoot, you know, mid thirties, maybe high thirties. Like he's just very competent, and I think. If you're drafting him, I guess, if you're drafting to be your eighth man, that's a strong double to me. That's a guy who's just going to work out. If you're, if you're, I, I was only worried if teams like Orlando was maybe looking at him. Maybe not so much Thunder, but like there was stuff around 10 that someone's going to trade up to 10 to get him, or that like the Raptors were going to take him to be like Fred Van Vliet's replacement. It's like, I don't know about that. But on this team, I think he's about as good a fit as. That's that, for him. It's as good a fit as there was. I'm not sure if he's going to be a, ever be a guy who's. It's really difficult to project this stuff, but I always like to talk about guys like. It's one of the reasons I was low on Brandon Miller because it's like if you draft him at two, his next contract is a max contract, unless he's like horrible, which I don't think he will be. Because you're paying that guy 180 million. Kobe Buffkin's not going to be getting paid 180. Million. Kobe Buffkin's next contract will be like three for sixty. Like that's that's like the maximum I think he could get, which is. Hey, he's making six million dollars, but uh, like that's a, it's also a good player. Uh, in general, this this is a this is this is not a uh, this is more the Davion Mitchell end of the spectrum for like guards build to build around than it is like this guy's going to be a star. But again, that's it's a guy the Hawks can use, so I think it's a solid pick. I think it's it's fifteen. You get a role player. You did well. I was going to ask you. I mean, the fit versus you know, I think you always say this too. Like you don't want to draft purely for fit at this, at this kind of, a no, draft. but it, 15 but it is it's okay. Yeah. It's right. okay to do with that. It, it yeah. matters. And you know, two things you said at the beginning of that were notable to me, the finishing right now, the Hawks don't really have much rim pressure in yeah. general. That's one of their weaknesses. And I think Kobe long term conceptually will have DeJounte, but he doesn't do it as much. Yeah. No. Yeah. He, he, he likes to take mid rangers and Florida. Yeah, he, he can get to there and he decides not to too much. I think. Right. So that that's one area, and I agree with you there. And then, you know, the fact that I don't think he's a point guard either, but in Atlanta, he never needs to be the point guard. I mean, there's this there's this thought process where, like, I agree, he could play with both Trey and DeJounte separately. He, he, fits, he fits well with both of those guys. And, you know, as you might expect, in some circles that are not, like, super dialed in the NBA – necessarily a lot of the reaction locally was like is this the is this a DeJounte Murray replacement and it's like well maybe but not not on purpose like you know, things go drafting, well right you're not drafting a replacement yeah. um because the reality is DeJounte could leave in a year or he could even get traded before that but that's not why you take Buffkin I, I think he fits well even if he, again this is not going to excite anybody but even if he becomes a really good third guard that's a that's a fine thing to have happen at 15 overall. Like that, there's this notion that he has to be 
you know, a high level, high level starter, like firmly entrenched to be able to return value there. And I, I don't agree with that. I think you're hoping he maybe could be a starter long term. I'm not saying that's not going to be a, what they're hoping for. But, you know, the fact that he does so many things well in the backcourt, if that becomes your third guard, he's got enough size, like you said, to play both guard spots. I'll ask you about defense in a second, but you, even offensively, you know, he just does a lot of things well. And um, you mentioned the shooting. And that's, I think that's, if there is a concern offensively short of, just physical strength, which is going to need defensively too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you make of the shot? I mean, is it just like, it's just okay? Because that's kind of what I think. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But I, you know, he, he's come a long way with it already. It's gotten a lot better. Um, I think he's going to need to shoot at some level, but he's not a non-shooter either. So it's like kind of, is that, I think we're probably in the same place where he's just like, he'll be able to make shots, but he's never going to be a guy that you like have a five alarm flyer for basically is what I Yeah. Think. Yeah. Uh, in, in fairness to him and to Jeff Howard, um, their spacing was, was it, not, was not. it was not optimal. <laughs> yeah, um, it was not. Even by Big Ten standards, it was pretty bad. And, like, that's crazy thinking back that that Michigan team had two top 15 picks. Well, yeah, two, 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 two lot, basically uh, lottery picks. And then, of course, the center was the best player on the team in some ways. Uh, you can debate that, obviously. But college uh, player-wise, like, he had the highest well, I, for college. <laughs> but I would, I would also say it's fair to say that he's one of the reasons the team wasn't. I agree with all of that. But, you know, and, you know, look, also – Knowing that you're a you're a super diehard, you watch all this stuff. What did you and I agree with it basically? But what did you make of the even out there national? I think Sam said it a lot too, which probably helped perpetuate it a little bit too. But kind of the way that Kobe played in the second half versus the first half, and the way that Michigan played, and his on offs were really good. Like, did you do you take anything from that? The fact that they kind of gave him the keys more and more as the season went along. Well, it, it made his stock. It raised his stock. Yeah, it just yeah. He just it was. You can I mean again you can attest to this. His first he was a guy that I was. First off, he was a guy, my, all my grassroots guys that you watch more than I do, all loved coming into his freshman year. And yeah. I thought he would be, he was, he was a mild disappointment for me. I was, I thought he'd be a one and done, or at least like a low level one and done, maybe like what Amari Bailey was this year. Mm-hmm. And he just, he, he had the flashes. He just, it was like play by play, game by game. He just wasn't putting together. He didn't, and then he didn't there was much either. Like they also buried yeah. him at times, which was bad because to me. He, he, <laughs> he, yeah, and he should have played more, but he, he also had bad stretches. He wasn't good yeah. for yeah. long stretches. And this year was really the year. He, he second half of the year, he really just. I don't think he had a bad game for ten or twelve straight. Like he played really well, and that's that's what you want. I mean, that's what you're looking for. It's enough sample to me that I felt it's an odd. It's like almost like quickly to me. Although I was low on quickly for the for that reason because quickly was a guy I thought was really good as a freshman, wasn't, and then I just kind of stopped paying attention to him in his his, his sophomore year, and then realized like in March, I was like, oh, he's going to get drafted. He's good. Um, yeah. Kobe kind of did that, but I managed to kind of write the ship a little better. And I was waiting. He was a guy I was waiting on is basically what I was saying. Like I didn't have him. I think I had him first round, but I didn't have him, like a top 20 guy when the season ended. But then I saw so many other people doing it. I was like, okay, then I'm, I'm right to be I'm right to like this guy. And then it got, like I said, it got a little high. It got to the people talking about him at eight, nine, ten. It was like, ah, I don't know about that. Well, but, I know, but, Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure people, people automatically assume that I'm going to like him because he's a Michigan guy, which is not really, the, I, I really do separate this stuff when it comes to the draft. Like I was not super high on Jed Howard. Like I, I, it, would, it would have been fine. He, I, yeah, I had him in my top 20 or so, but it wasn't like I was enthused by Jed Howard as a lottery pick. And I agree. I, I wouldn't have taken Kobe eight, nine, 10, even like, but I think 15 is a good spot for him. He was the guy that I probably would have taken on the board. You can certainly parse that. I mean, Ken Whitmore was the, is the question mark, of course. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like there wasn't anybody else that I had really higher than Kobe at the time. And part of that again is the is the fit. I think he's a good fit in Atlanta. It's it's a nuanced fit, but if for if you're paying attention, it, it does make sense. I want to make sure we talk about defense a little bit. 
the strength is going to have to improve. I think he, he knows yeah. that. They know that. I mean, I think Landry Fields even said it on the on the dais of the night of the draft, which is usually like when there's a very obvious thing, they'll be willing to say it from the podium. Even the first yeah. night, he was like, he's got to get stronger, which we all know. I think he waited like 186 at the combine at 6'5", which is very, very skinny. That's like Kerry Kittle's uh, level, basically. Um, That's actually that than, Yeah. Other than that, um, what do you make of the defense? Because, you know, obviously – that kind of matters as far as like how high his stock might go because there's I've seen evaluations of him as like this really 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 good defensive prospect and everybody and then others are like he's pretty good. Uh, where do you where do you fall on that? Like what what does he do well and what does he maybe struggle with defensively? Well, I think if you're uh, I don't want to say small guard because he's six three four six three six four, but yeah. if you're not like a a, a phys, like a dominant physical guard, which he's not like a strength guy. Yeah. Um, I think defensively, the, the one thing you really need to have is good screen navigation. And I think his screen navigation is really good. It is. I, I think it's 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 quite good. He's able to he's able to shrink down and like kind of slither through cracks, get around. Like just doesn't he doesn't let himself get screened away easily, which is a. I mean that's there's a lot of ways guards can do that. There's the Cal Lowry way, which is just being thick and being hard to move, and then there's the way almost everyone else does it, which is the way Kobe does it, which is just avoiding the screen, like knowing when it's coming. Having really, it's it's a it's a timing thing. He's really good at that. I think his hands are solid. He's quick enough. I just don't think he's gonna be a guy who's like, he's not Alex Caruso. He's not that big. He's not that strong. He's not that. He's not a huge deflections guy. Although some of that's Michigan's defense. They weren't that aggressive at the point of the screen. I felt like as yeah. as aggressive as they should have been for the size they had. Like I saw Terrace Reed just stand there too often, <laughs> and it's very frustrating. Um, uh, for a team that was built around being big and strong, they didn't really try to bully anybody. Um, I found that an honor entirely. Um, and <laughs> I guess, but anyways, anyways, um, Kobe's good at that. I just don't think he's a guy. I, I would. This is not an all defensive guy. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't think you can call a guy that. But there's a gulf. There, there's there's the elite. There's a Marcus Smart, Alex Caruso, whatever you know, Beverly in his prime. There's those defensive guards, and then there's the Damian Lillard, Trey Young horrible defensive guards. And then there's kind of everyone else. And like, as long as you're in that middle spot and it is, I mean, if you're Damian, Young, Damian Lillard or Trey Young, you can get away with being that bad because you're a 35 usage guy. And you're going to, you can score 60 points, but if you're not that guy, you need to at least be above that range. And he's definitely in that range. Like whatever that middle yeah. area is, he's definitely in there. I just don't like with, like with him as a scorer, the, the idea of him being like a like people talk, if you're taking him X, like, Picking this guy in this draft at six, seven, eight as a guard, he's got to be like. I mean, Casey Wallace is like the only guy I take in that range who wasn't like an elite scorer because he's he is. I, f- I feel like he is that kind of guard, like the Marcus yeah. Smart, Alex Russo, D'Anthony Melton, like just havoc creator, like shit doer. I don't know how to describe it. I, I, I honestly, I not you, you mentioned right. Milton. Uh, I think Milton's not a bad comp. I think Milton is a better defensive prospect than than Bufkin, but I think as an overall package, I, I don't mind that. I think the big difference. I think Kobe's a little craftier, a little better with the handle. Yeah, I think the big difference is Milton. People forget about this because his because he had his one year at USC, then he sat out. Milton is like a, a super vertical athlete for a guard. Yeah, like he's a monster. And Kobe, I'm, I'm more I'm more mean in terms of like role, not mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, the player, and you know, I I was very high in Melton. I know you were too in the draft. I, I was baffled that he fell so far. It was insane. Um, but I mean, more as like you know, Melton to this point in his career has mostly been a third guard, like a really, a yeah. really, really good yeah. third guard. That that's kind of what I think Buckin might end up being. 
like you said, different, different, different uh, strengths and weaknesses. But I, I agree with you on the defense. Like, I, I think it's probably going to be not in the elite tier. I think it'll be in the higher end of the middle tier that you just laid out. Like, I think yeah. he's going to probably be an above average guard defender. Um, and you know, I guess one of the questions is how much stronger any, so much stronger can he get? Because if you're asking him to defend wings at some point, can he do that? That's the question. I, I have really yeah. no worry about him being yeah. him on guards long term. It's just whether he can be versatile enough to like not that you're guarding Tatum but like can can you guard a 6-6 wing and have that not be a, a, a point where you're worried and that's, that's not an issue I have. I have with Casey Wallace right that's the difference like, I think Casey Wallace can excel at that personally but yeah and he well, he's obviously he's, he's a lot thicker he's a lot stronger and, and again I think everyone including Kobe knows he's gonna have to get stronger he said yeah. all the right things draft night about how he got on the court more defensively early on at Michigan. Like he knew he had to, he knew he had to be better. He even said, I, I think the quote was, I couldn't guard anybody in my freshman year was the way he, he said that, uh, which was funny, but I think it might be the same thing in Atlanta. I, I mean, Quinn's not Nate McMillan in terms of his old school stuff, but if they don't trust his defense, he's not going to play as much as he, as he would if when, if, when they do trust his defense. So like, he's going to have yeah. to go on the court defensively early in his career. Yeah, and I, I think you can. Like, I, I think the upside with, with Kobe Boston is, it, but th- I, I get what you're saying with the Melton thing because I think he is a guy who will pl- can ideally play 20, 25 minutes for a team, and end up ends up being like the sixth best guy in all the rate stats, or like the fourth or fifth on a lesser team. And then as a guy who maybe in the playoffs is not like a prime matchup, like has some, will have some weaknesses. But I think I feel reasonably confident that he'll be a third guard for seven or eight years, which is, again, 15. That's a really good outcome. And look, I think one of the appeals, too, it's speaking of the playoffs, and, you know, this is a team that, for better or worse, they, they are, they're worried about the playoffs long-term. Hopefully they can start getting there more often. But I do think he profiles as a guy that won't have any glaring issue where you can't play him in the playoffs. You know, yeah. again, at, right now, today, at 185, he might just be too skinny. He gets blown through. But, you know, in, in two years, when he's, when he's probably 20 pounds heavier and he's got more strength, one of his, I think, one of his positives is that he, there's not really a glaring weakness here. Like he doesn't really do anything particularly poorly. The other side of this is that he doesn't really have that like a one strength either. Like in terms of like this is what his standout trait is. Like where do you fall? I know I kind of. I think like, he's gonna. I think he's gonna be pretty. I think he's gonna be a pretty high points per possession guy on attacking closeouts, yeah. especially if he's on the Hawks. But they have let's say, let's say, let's just say, Capella gets <laughs> traded, Collins gets traded, and they're starting. Let's say they haven't. Look, Let's say it's Okongwu, Jalen, Hunter, or Griffin, whoever's left, probably Griffin. Sure. Yeah. DeJounte, Trey, and Buffkin's like the sixth man. Let's say that's what it is. If you bring him in for DeJounte, and you have those five, like you have Griffin and Trey, and, and let's just say Hunter, because Hunter's a better shooter out there. He's your fourth guy out there. You get the ball swinging. He's a good enough finisher. If he gets past that, if, if defense is in rotation, he's scoring. Like he will score. Yeah. But I think that's that. a real strength. I think that's a thing he's really going to be good at. Get him in the corner, let him, preferably the left corner, let him pump, go right, in the middle of the paint. He's going to score. Like he's going to have a really high efficiency rate on those finishes, and that is a good bench player to have. So I think I think that's his real strength. Not even so much half court like self creation stuff. Just just knowing when to cut, knowing where to where to, getting in the rhythm, getting like if he's on the corner and AJ's on the wing, he's getting. He's getting rotation closeouts because teams have already started to not let a like as I as I suspected, and it was obvious <laughs> to see. I know people were confused about his shot, but because it looks weird. But AJ even like by January, teams were like 
treating him like a light, like he was a grenade. Like people, yep. people running him is. off the three point line. Yeah, and you, you can't let him shoot because he will he will shoot forty seven percent on threes if you let him. You just let him <laughs> shoot, right? Um, so yeah, Kobe's a great guy to have. Like, and that's kind of why I like the pick because I, I like I like it when teams because as you said, they had Jalen fall to him, they had AJ fall to him. Ideally, those are those are guys who are in three years are making twenty million a year, twenty five million a year. They're your starters, like they're your your core pieces with Trey or Dejounte or whatever and a Kongu. Like ideally, those are the guys you're paying the you're you're spending your cap on. Let's say they don't bring anyone else in because they don't really. They're not a huge sure. free agent destination generally. And so, like, yeah, you need to start filling out like you need like your seventh, eighth, ninth men. So I think that's that's the real strength of the pick. I think that's in three years it'll. I feel like in three years he'll be a guy who is taken when we do redrafts. He'll be like twelfth pick. People will be like, yeah, that guy's pretty solid. Which what else do you want? All right, that's all for part one with myself and Brian Schroeder. Part two should be available in your podcast feed of choosing right now. So subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Please follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BTRoland. Follow Brian on Twitter as well as on Patreon at BrianJNBA. And please tell a friend about the podcast as well. Really appreciate everybody listening to the show. Again, make sure to check out part two available right now. We'll see you all next time.